بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار uh, so, so today we continue in uh, the short series on the explanation of the Ayatul Wudu or the Ayatul Tayammum so this is the sixth verse in Suratul Ma'idah the sixth verse in the fifth chapter of the Quran. In the first lesson, two weeks ago when we started, we did this lesson, uh, the Shaykh Rahimahullah, Shaykh Ubaid Rahimahullah, he gave us a brief explanation of the ayah of wudu and explained to us some of the rulings of wudu, purification. And without purification, as you know, there is no prayer, there is no prayer. And uh, the Shaykh established that in this verse, the various uh, pillars and the rulings of the wudu, of the purification, are mentioned. So as a quick recap uh, from the verse, the Shaykh established that there are four pillars without which purification is not complete. And they are as follows. First of all, it is washing the face washing the face. Secondly, it is washing the arms to the elbows, inclusive of the elbows and the hand. Thirdly, it is wiping the head, wiping the head. And fourthly, it is washing the feet to the ankles, inclusive of the ankles. Right? So these are the four pillars for requirements. And then there were some additional clarifications which we get from the sunnah of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam so this is in the ayah and from the sunnah we learn that or we learn the definition of the face includes the mouth and the nose which means that washing the mouth or rinsing the mouth and likewise the nose sniffing water up the nose that is considered to be part of washing the face and that is an obligation because it's part of the face similarly we learn that the ears are part of the head so part of wiping the head includes wiping of the ears inside and out right so we explained that in the previous lesson so these are the four obligations however there are another two obligations that we established uh, from the Sunnah. And can anybody remember what those other two obligations were? Uh, the fifth and the sixth? The order. The order, yeah. So it's the, uh, the, uh, the sequence or the order. It has to be in that sequence. So it has to be in the order mentioned in the verse, right? Which is washing the face, then washing the arms, then wiping the head and then washing the feet 
So that was the fifth uh, requirement. There has, to be, uh, there has to be the order or the sequence. And the sixth one was uh, yeah, uh, succession or the continuity. Right? So you, you, you can't, for example, you know, wash your face and do the uh, arms and then go away for a few minutes and then come back and then continue with uh, wiping the, the head and the, no, because the, this, uh, this is invalid in accordance with the, with the sunnah. So there has to be uh, continuity and there has to be succession, meaning the, there can't be any gaps or breaks in between. So these are the six obligations of the wudu. Six obligations of the wudu. And then in addition to that, when we look in the sunnah, there are some other details, other information which is provided. From them is, for example, that, that the minimum, minimum amount that fulfills the obligation is doing everything once. Right? So doing everything once is enough to fulfill the obligation. But some of the affairs have been reported thrice. Uh, such as the washing of the face, the washing of the arms, the washing of the feet. As for wiping of the head, it's only mentioned comes once. Also from the affairs which are mentioned is the issue of the niya. The intention has to be present. right? And the intention is simply your inward knowledge that you are going to perform ablution for the purposes of removing hadith, from removing... Um, you know, removing yourself from the state of impurity, right? It's not said aloud, you, do, you don't express it verbally, that's not the nature of the intention. The intention is simply your knowledge of what you are going to do. And finally, the basmala, saying Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, this is also a requirement. And if you deliberately avoid saying it, then you have no wudu, right? But if you forget, then that's Allah has pardoned people for what they forget. That doesn't matter. But the basmala is a requirement for the, for the wudu. So all of these details, and one final detail is that before you commence the first obligation of the wudu, which is washing the face, then it's known in the sunnah that you wash your hands. And you can wash your hand three times, although washing the hands once is basically sufficient, right? So this is the description or the attribute of the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ. This is what we covered in the first lesson, uh, the last time that we met. So now we're going to continue, inshallah, with uh, the next part of the verse. And today's lesson starts from here. The next part of the verse, Allah Azawajal, he mentions, and in this ayah in Suratul Ma'idah, if you check, it mentions everything to do with wudu and tayammum and ghusl, and likewise, the concessions, the concessions which Allah has given to the Muslims when they are in certain kind of uh, situations uh, in order for them to, if they don't have water, for example, there are certain concessions which are given uh, to make affairs easy uh, for us. And this is from the mercy, from the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from the ease with which this legislation has come with. Because the legislation of the Sharia is in between the exaggeration, the extremism of the Jews on the one hand, and it is in between the, 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 the laxity and the neglect of the Christians on the other hand, who basically don't really, or they don't emphasize the law, because they believe 
salvation is only through belief right so you believe Jesus died for your sins then you you have salvation that's it right so they don't really emphasize the law and this religion is an altered distorted religion that was innovated by Paul Paul was a heretic and he was rejected by the companions of Isa salam and they refuted this idea this idea that actions or adhering to the law is not part of faith and does not enter you into paradise right it's not a condition it's not a requirement sorry for you to enter into paradise and so the companions uh, they they wrote refutations against this idea even in the new testament if you look in the book of james for example there's one two three you will find in the book of james a refutation of this idea that actions are not required for faith and nor for receiving you know salvation in the hereafter and this is just like the scholars of the muslims in the you know late first century and early you know second century onwards they refuted this idea of irja irja which is to expel actions from iman to say that a person's iman a person's faith is complete and perfect without any outward actions this is false this is a false idea so this shows the necessity the importance of the law and adhering to the law and that a person enters into paradise uh, through his actions even though it is by the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately so in the sharia of islam alongside these laws the ahkam then within them is ease there is mercy there's moderation and there are also concessions as well so on top of ease there are concessions as well and this is from the perfection of the sharia and the mercy of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon his servants so in this ayah as we said there are all of the rulings of wudu and so we mentioned that in the previous lesson the next part of the verse allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says wa in kuntum junuban wa in kuntum junuban fattahharu that if you are in a state of janaba if you are in a state of janaba then purify yourself then purify meaning purify yourself so what does this mean a sheikh rahimahullah he says al maqsud bil junub bil jum he says that al janaba is a person who is in a state of major impurity because of relations right relations between a man and his wife and so this is the first way the second way is either by way of a dream that he sees and on account of the dream he has an uh, emission and the third way is either which is basically just through uh, playing around and having interactions you know with his wife but without doing the actual uh, the, the the active relation and as a result of that there is there is an emission right for for the man or the wife so this happens without having actual intercourse so these are the three situations in which the ghusl the major uh, bathing or the washing this now becomes an obligation and uh, the sheikh says that he dis discussed and covered this issue separately 
And this is not really our subject because that the issue of ghusl has its own separate rulings. We are speaking here of wudu and tayammum. So moving to the next part of the verse, uh, which now moves on to the issue of tayammum, tayammum, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in the next part of the ayah, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ مَرْضَى If you are ill, أو على سفر, or if you are upon a journey, أو جاء أحد منكم من الغائط, or one of you has come, having relieved himself, meaning having gone to the, the lavatory or whatever, and having relieved himself, or you have had relations with women. Right? So there are four things which are mentioned here. Four things. If you are ill, if you are on a journey, if you have just come after relieving yourself, and if you have had relations with women, right? So these are four scenarios. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, فَلَمْ تَجِدُ مَاءً and then you do not find any water. You do not find any water. So then make tayammum by way of wholesome, clean earth. And then he said, So rub your faces and your hands from it. Right? So this now comprises the ruling of tayammum. So as you've seen, inshallah, we'll come to describe what tayammum is later. But first of all, what's mentioned in the verse is that there are four things which permit the use of tayammum. There are four scenarios or four situations mentioned in this verse. The first of them is when you are ill. However, al-marad this illness isn't something that is left open and general, right? There are certain restrictions and conditions which limit the type of illness or the nature of the illness for which you can make tayammum. And so the Sheikh says that there are certain uh, conditions attached or restrictions attached. And this is, for example, the illness which causes a man to be uh, bedbound. You know, he can't get up and he's not able to make wudu or it would make him make it very difficult for him to make wudu because he's having to lie down or recline and physically it's very hard for him to do so. And, and even if he was able to move, then it would cause him difficulty to actually make wudu, to get up and make wudu. Or if he was to use water, that water would maybe, maybe be, be harmful for him in his illness, right? So these types of conditions are attached to the illness. It's not just any type of illness, you know, um, you, you know like you have a, a pain in, in the calf of the leg or you have a pain in the arm, but you are able-bodied, you can stand, you can, you know. It's not just general illness. The illness has to meet these basic uh, requirements uh, for you to be able to take the concession of doing tayammum. So this is the first one, illness. And it is a restricted, restricted by these uh, conditions, these qoyud. The second thing which permits tayammum is 
the statement of Allah safar. Or you are upon a journey. And obviously the journey here is a journey in which you cannot find any water or you are unable to use uh, the water. You're, you are unable to make use of water. Uh, this can be, for example, th there are certain situations. For example, you stop at a place and there is no water available. Or you stop at a place, but you, uh, you may have water, but the water is so little and so, you know, that you need the water to drink or maybe for your children to drink. And if you were to use that water for, for wudu, then it would cause you harm later in the journey by way of thirst and other such things. So in that case, um, you know, you, you, you would resort to tayyum. Um, or, for example, um, the water is available, but you'd have to pay for it. And it's very, very expensive to, to access the water. And you, 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 you are not able to afford it. It would cause you hardship and a burden. So these kind of scenarios are where the water, you are unable to use the water, right? It doesn't mean that water has to be completely absent and nowhere to be found, right? There could be water, but in certain situations, uh, you are unable to use that water because of other harms that might come to you. So here, you are unable to make use of water, whether it's available or whether it's, it's not available. Um, so the Sheikh says also, that here when in the ayah when it says ala safarin, when you are upon a journey this does not mean that this situation is restricted only to the journey right so it's not a specification this is not takhsis meaning that this concession applies only when you are on a journey the reason why journey has been mentioned is because overwhelmingly on journeys water is not very accessible right we all know this from experience that when you're traveling and you know you you, you really can't have uh, ready access to water so the journey has been mentioned from the angle not as a specification for this concession but more from the angle that journeying is a situation when overwhelmingly access to water is is hard and difficult right which means that this can also happen when you are not traveling, right? So when you, are, when you are resident and water is absent or it's very hard to find any water or that, um, you know, that you, if you were to go out and start looking for water, there would maybe be some hardship or difficulty upon you, then a person can make tayammum even if he is a resident, right? So, uh, the Sheikh explained that. And so this now is the second thing that permits making tayammum. The third thing mentioned in the verse which permits making tayammum is when you return after having relieved yourself. And as occurs in the ayah, أَوْجَاءَ أَحَدٌ مِّنْكُمْ مِنَ الْغَائِطِ it used a certain expression. It's like a very subtle expression. Al-ghaiq. Al-ghaiq. What does al-ghaiq mean in the Arabic language? It means a place which is basically low. It's low. And it's far away from where people basically generally live and, and, and reside. 
And so what it means, what it's referring to, is a place that people go to away from, from the eyes of the people. It's concealed, and they go there to relieve themselves, right? So, al-ghaiq, the original linguistic meaning of this word refers to the place, to the place, right? The place which is away from the eyes of the people, remote, and it's somewhat depressed and lowered in the ground, right? However, even though this is the original linguistic meaning of the word, the word was later used, al-ghaiq, to refer to the emission or the excretion that a person makes when he's in that place, right? So it refers now to the actual excretion, to the, to the urine or to the feces, right? So this is what al-ghaiq, it take, took on the meaning away from its linguistic meaning to refer to the actual excretions that come from, from, from a person. And so this is the meaning here. It's the excess things which a person expels uh, from his uh, body. So this is the meaning that when you have relieved yourself, when you have relieved yourself. And now, in this situation, which is the third of the four situations, then there are two, there are two situations where tayyummum is made. In one situation, it becomes wajib, right? It becomes wajib. Which is, if you want to pray and there is no water, right? So if you have relieved yourself and you want to pray and there's no water available or it's very hard to access water and the prayer time is, is entered and you need to pray, here then to make tayammum becomes wajib. It's obligatory for you to make tayammum and then to, then to pray. The second situation is where the tayammum becomes mustahab, becomes recommended. And so this is where it's in a, it's in a situation other than the prayer, for example, where, um, for example, you might want to eat or drink after relieving yourself, no water available, so you might just want to make tayammum. Um, or it could be that as occurs in a hadith regarding the messenger of Allah where Someone came to him, passed by him. He was relieving himself, and the man gave salam, and the messenger of Allah he did not respond because he, he did not respond because he was in the state of, of relieving himself. So when he finished, he then made tayammum due to the absence of water. Once he'd finished making tayammum, he went to the man, and then he returned the salam to the man right so in the likes of this situation here it is mustahab to do so to do tayammum not obligatory but if it's in relation to the prayer then obviously it's obligatory to do tayammum in the likes of this situation so this now is the third of the four things that permit making tayammum it is having relieved yourself and not having any access to water the fourth and final one is, as Allah says, أَوْ لَا مَسْتُمُ النِّسَاءَ Or when you have had relations with women. Right? And it mentions an expression, أَوْ لَا مَسْتُمُ Literally this means when you have touched women. And so 
Um, the scholars have differed. Does it mean just literally just touching or does it mean intercourse? And it actually means the correct view is that it means having intercourse with, with women. And um, the Sheikh goes on to say, so these are four situations. If in these situations, the shard, the answer to the shard, falam tajidu ma'a. So if you are in each of these four situations and then you do not find water, you do not find water. So this now is a situation in which you make tayammum, you make tayammum by way of wholesome, clean earth. Okay. There's another issue now that the Sheikh mentions, which is, is water to be looked for in the place or in the area where you are or do you now to go and see, do you need to now go and seek it somewhere else do you understand right so for example let's say you're on a journey and you stop at a place and there isn't any water there are you now required to now start walking and you know, looking for water outside of the place where you've stopped are you required to do that so the sheikh says this is an issue what's what's the answer and he says, what is correct is that you look for water only in the place, right? In the place that you are. And if you, you know, if you, if you expect to find water, if you know that, you know, maybe there might be water there, then you can look in that area. And if you do not find water, then you make tayammum. And, you know, there are many, many places that people stop at and they know that there's no water in these places. And, you know, you, you, you just simply make tayyumum in that case. Uh, but you're not required to now uh, start walking and walking and walking and walking until you, you find water in some other place, some other location, walk a few, you know, you're not required to do that. That's not, uh, not uh, required as the Sheikh uh, explains. And likewise, another separate issue is, what about, for example, the person who's on, on a journey, for example, and... He is expecting or hoping to find water and therefore he delays the prayer for that purpose, right? So imagine you're on a journey and you're saying, yeah, inshallah, maybe at this point we'll, we'll, we'll find water. And so we'll just keep going, keep going, keep going. We'll delay the prayer until hopefully we'll find some water, right? Sometimes you end up being in that situation. And so the Sheikh says that some of the people of knowledge, they say, you know, they, they raise this issue and should a person delay the prayer should he not delay the prayer if he you know so the sheikh says what is correct is that if he wants to pray if he needs to pray then he should make tayammum right irrespective of whether he is going to find the water or he has a hope or an anticipation that he will find water maybe somewhere you know further down the journey you know or in that place or outside of that place he should actually pray and the evidence for this is a hadith from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that there were two men and the time for prayer came the time for prayer came and they did not have any water so they could not make wudu so they both made tayammum right so they patted their hands on the ground and then they rubbed their hands and then they rubbed their faces and they both prayed. Now, after that, the men found water. 
So one of the two men repeated his prayer after doing wudu with water. So he did his wudu with, with water. Then he repeated his prayer again. And the other one did not repeat his prayer. So then the two men came to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they mentioned to the Messenger of Allah what happened. And so the Messenger said to the man who did not repeat his prayer, he said, Asabta Sunnah, that you, your action, in your action, you agreed with the Sunnah. So what you did by not repeating the prayer, you agreed with the sunnah, right? Meaning that tayammum is sufficient to uh, fulfill your prayer because it's a replacement for wudu, right? It takes the place of wudu. So therefore your prayer is totally valid, complete. You do not need to repeat your prayer. So what you did was in agreement with the sunnah. And, and then uh, it, it has, you have uh, fulfilled your prayer you have fulfilled your prayer then he said to the other one who repeated his prayer after doing wudu with water he said uh, he said lakal ajr marratain lakal ajr marratain that you have reward twice you have twice the reward right so the sheikh says this hadith is a proof to show that in this situation, the issue is basically open. It's open, right? If you fulfilled your prayer by way of tayammum, then you don't need to repeat your prayer because your prayer is valid, it is complete, alhamdulillah. And if you want to do wudu with water and you want to repeat the prayer, then you can do that as well. Either way, both of these are established in this particular uh, hadith. So there's, there's no issue in that. The Shaykh goes on to explain what is important to understand is that the tayammum is an actual replacement. It takes the place of wudu. And for this reason, there are some of the scholars, some of the fuqaha, what they basically said was that let's say you make tayammum for an obligatory prayer, for example. So let's say you're out on a journey and you have no water. The time for, let's say time for uh, asr comes in so you make tayammum you pray the asr okay so now because you made tayammum for an obligatory prayer then you can pray maghrib with the same tayammum or you can pray any nawafil with the same tayammum why because they say you made tayammum for an obligatory prayer right this is what some scholars say Conversely, if you made tayammum for, for, for a, uh, something which is a nafal prayer, for example, and then the time for an obligatory prayer comes, right? So let's say, for example, it's in the morning and you have no water, so you make tayammum, then you pray salatul duha, for example. You pray some uh, rakahs of prayer in the morning before the noon, right? This is not obligatory. Now the time for dhuhr has come in. Okay, now, do you now need to repeat tayammum for the obligatory prayer? Because you did tayammum for a nafal prayer earlier on? This is what some scholars say. They, they, they claim this and they say this. And the, an, the, the answer is that this is not correct. 
It's not correct. Because tayammum is an actual replacement for the wudu. It takes the place of wudu and it makes no difference. Whether it is for a nafal prayer, whether it is for an obligatory prayer, if you do tayammum, then you can pray the obligatory prayers with that irrespective, right? Because it's an actual replacement for the, for the wudu. So, um, you know, you can, so long as you haven't broken your wudu, then you can pray whatever you want, obligatory prayers, you can recite the Quran, you can uh, touch the Quran, all these uh, types of, you know, uh, affairs follow on because it is an actual replacement of the wudu. Also, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, and this is another evidence for this as well, in the hadith reported, uh, in this hadith related by a tirmidhi from the hadith of uh, Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu, and this is declared authentic by Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah. In this hadith, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, إِنَّ السَّعِيدَ muslim Indeed, the ground which is wholesome and clean, it is purification for a Muslim. It's a purification for a Muslim. Even if you did not find water for 10 years, right? So, so if you didn't find water for 10 years, you can make tayummum for 10 years, keep going for 10 years, if no water was available for 10 years. Right? Because the, the ground, the earth, which is wholesome and pure, meaning there's no impurities there, then that has been made as a means of purification for a Muslim. But if you were to then find water, then let him make the water touch his skin, reach his skin, because within that is goodness. Because within that is goodness. Okay. What does this show? This shows that in the absence of water, you can make tayammum. But in the presence of water, then you have to use the water. Meaning, tayammum is not now... Um, it doesn't do away with wudu altogether. It's only in the situation where you cannot find water or it's hard to, to make use of water. So this is the end of the second uh, lesson of the Shaykh. We're going to move uh, straight to the third section. Uh, so basically, in essence, tayammum uh, is very simple. After mentioning the rulings of wudu with water, there are certain concessions which have been given in the Sharia for certain scenarios. And they are, for example, illness, disease, or secondly, it is a journey, or thirdly, it is after having relieved yourself, and fourthly, after having relations, and you do not find water, right? Or to access water is very hard, right? So in that case, we are permitted to make tayammum through any wholesome uh, ground or, or earth and this is a replacement for, for the wudu so long as we are unable to find water and the messenger of Allah he emphasized by mentioning 10 years it's not, a, it's not 10 years specifically it's any amount of time right where you have no water then 
tayammum is, is doable so long as that condition is fulfilled. So this now is a concession uh, from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then we move to the next section uh, in the next lecture on page 196 for those who have the book. And the Shaykh then goes on to look at the next part of the verse So Allah he says So wipe your faces and your hands from it From it, okay Now there is a discussion about the particle minh, minhu Right, what does this actually mean when Allah says Wipe your faces and your hands from it. Does this mean, like, does this mean there are two things that it can mean? Uh, does it mean that the dust or whatever it is that you are using, that, has, that is part and parcel of what you're using? Right? Or does it mean it's only the starting point of the process? Right, so let's, let's be clear. What, what is the meaning of this word? Is it, say for example you have some dust or you have some sand or something. So you rub your hands on the sand or the dust and the dust has to be on your hands and now you're using the dust to rub on your hands and your face. Is that what is meant by the word minhu? Minhu, meaning tabi'id, meaning like a part of the dust, a part of the whatever is that what it means or does it mean that putting your hand on the ground or the earth is simply just a starting point of the process and it's not the case that the actual dust is a required part of making tayyumum which of these two is is actually meant in this verse right so the sheikh goes on to say that um, he goes on to explain these two uh, meanings and he says that which is most correct and in line with the evidence is that the word, the particle or the preposition min, min in this verse is, he says, which means that it's, it refers to the commencement of the process, the start of the process. Right? And he says there are two evidences for this. There are two evidences that this is the case. One is from the Sunnah, and the other is basically you know, something that we observe through, you know, uh, through experience and through perception. So, as for the evidence from the Sunnah, the hadith of Ammar, radiallahu anhu, he said that the Messenger of Allah, when he struck, when he put his hands on the earth, he said to Ammar, yakfika." He said, indeed, this is sufficient for you. So he struck his hands on the earth like that. Then he, then he put them up and then he blew upon them to remove the torab, the, 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 the dust, the, the sand or the dust, right? And the sheikh says that if the dust itself was part and parcel of what's required to rub on the hands and the face, then the Messenger of Allah would not have blue on his hands. Right? So this shows that the tapping 
or the, 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 what we do with the hands, it's only basically like the, the, the commencement of the process. Meaning that you start off by rubbing your hands on the clean earth or, you know, and then after that, it's not a requirement that there has to be dust particles, whatever. No, that's just the initiation of the process. So then obviously you, you rub your hands and then you rub your face like that. And that's all there is to tayammum. Simple as that. That's all there is. So the Sheikh says, this is evidence from the Sunnah. As for evidence from just basic observation, he says, we know that um, we know that most of the earth, many parts of the earth, there isn't, you know, there's, you can't access dust, right? There's, there's no, um, you know, the, the, it's, either, it's either sandy or it's dry or it's like an open space um, or it's mountains, you know. So you, you can't really find dust or, in all situations. And if this was the requirement, it would make life to be very, very difficult. Right to find such a uh, situation like this it would make life very difficult, and you would not be able to do tayyumum that easily. And the Sharia has come to make ease for the people, so it's not a requirement that you actually have like sand particles or dust particles or whatever it might be. No, you just simply strike the earth as a, a commencement process, and then you wipe the hands and the face. And so the, these are two evidences uh, to show that. Uh, you know, this is this is what is what is intended. So through that, the Sheikh then goes on to explain the next part of the verse in which Allah Zawajal He says, "Ma yuridu Allahu liyajala alikum min haraj, walakin yuri walakin yuridu liyutahirakum, waliyutimma ni'matahu alikum laallakum tashkurun." So now the end part of the verse, after mentioning the rulings of wudu, and then of major impurity because of marital relations and then tayammum as a concession to make ease at the end of the ayah Allah Zawajal, he says Allah does not desire any hardship for you to make any hardship for you but he wants to purify you and to complete his favor upon you in order that you may be grateful and so there are a number of issues here in this part of the verse. First of all, Allah has made um, it easy for the person who has no water or is incapable of getting or using water. He's made tayammum. And he did not impose any hardships and burdens and require them to go and find water and you know, engage upon uh, travel and journey and you know going out of the way to make to find water no um, he made ease for them and also in a hadith we see that the messenger of Allah he said I have been given five which none of the prophets before me were given and one of those was that the earth has been made for me as a place as, as worship and as purification Right? No other prophet was given this, this thing. That we can pray any, in any part of the earth, as long as it is, there's no najasa. And we can use any part of the earth as purification, like, like tayammum, as long as it's, it's obviously pure and there's no najasa. So the whole, uh, what, the whole earth has been made like this for the Muslims. 
as a mercy and a bounty from Allah Azawajal. So uh, this shows that this is a concession, uh, you know, it's a concession from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and, and a mercy upon His servants to make uh, worship easy for them. The second thing that we see mentioned here in this verse, Allah Azawajal, He said that He does not want to make any hardship uh, upon us. Um, so he wanted to remove any haraj, any hardship. And this applies to the whole of the Sharia. The whole of the Sharia has come to remove hardships from us. This applies to everything. Whether it is purification as you see here. Whether it is prayer. Because in prayer we have certain concessions such as the ill person can pray while sitting down. And the traveler can, can, can combine the prayers and shorten the prayers. Likewise, in the affair of marriage, for example, there are, there are, uh, ease has been made in marriage whereby the dowry is kept simple and small and uh, the marriage process is very simple, for example. The same thing can be said about so many of the laws and the rulings of the Sharia in which there is ease, right? Many basic principles to do with trade and uh, partnerships and inheritance. And when you look at all these things, you find Allah has made life very easy. Even for example, uh, the times of the prayers, we just need to look at the sun, uh, very easy for any common person to know the time of the prayers. Uh, the time for the entrance of Ramadan and the finish of Ramadan is by ways that every person can see with the vision of the eyes. It's not left to any kind of elite scientists you know, using their calculations and only they can you know, basically, you know, tell you, it's something that's open and apparent to everybody, right? So the whole of the Sharia is built upon, upon ease and uh, removal of hardship, removal of difficulty. The whole of the Sharia is, is, is basically like this. And also, it, um, obviously in it is justice. It removes uh, injustice from the society because everything in all the relations, in marriage, in inheritance, uh, in, in trade and in interactions in everything that is perfect complete justice it's important to understand this um, especially for many of us see lots of children here today as well that uh, what is what is justice what is equality what is fairness is what we find in the revelation of Allah in the Quran in the Sharia in the laws of Allah because Allah is the creator of mankind. And he created the male and he created the female, right? There is men and women, boys and girls. There's nothing else. Except, of course, some rare situations where a person is born with incomplete private uh, parts. So these are what we call intersex people. This is a rare occurrence, but it's not a category like male or female. This is an anomaly, right? And there are rulings in the Sharia for such people, right? These people are, they are servants of Allah. They, you know, the rulings to do with them. They are not uh, unequals. They are not disadvantaged in any way, but there are rulings to do with them. Or we can't uh, belittle them or attack them. This, this is injustice. But this is not a separate category, right? This is not, this is, this is an anomaly. There is only male and there is female. And between the male and the female, there are, uh, things which apply to all of them, obligations to Allah, purification, prayer, 
you know, repentance, uh, zakah, all these rulings, they are rewarded equally. They are equal in all these things. And there are some things where women have a concession because they are women. They have menstrual cycles, they have, you know, so they don't um, pray and, and other, other, other things of this nature. And then there are other things that are the duties and obligations of men uh, to maintain women, to protect women, to provide for women. This is the order that Allah has put in the creation and all of it is justice, all of it is agrees with factual realities, right? These laws of the Sharia, they are in accordance with factual realities, right? There are certain realities that we know are true, that women are not str as strong as, uh, as men, right? So th th these are facts, right? And facts do not amount to hatred. Do you understand? When you, when you say what are facts, this in no way does it imply hatred except to the, the majnoon, the insane, idiotic person. Only the same idiotic person says when you say, for example, that women do not have the body structure and the physical strength and the stamina of men, this is not hatred, this is factual reality. And the one who says this is hatred, he needs to be strapped in a white coat and sent to the mental asylum, right? This, this, this is a fact, because he's denying what is obvious. This is no different to saying, for example, if it's raining outside and I say, you know, it's raining outside, and someone says, that's hatred. How, how is it hatred? Because I'm, just, I'm telling you, factual reality, it's raining. Oh, how can that be hatred? How can that be an ideology of hate, right? So we shouldn't become victims to these lies and fabrications of these, what we call, people use the term for these people, they are leftist, they are liberalist, they are woke, woke ideology, they are, they are Marxist, this, right? Whatever name you want to call it, forget the names and labels, basically these people want to undermine the established natural order Allah put in his creation, right? And really these ideologies, they are invented by the rich and powerful people. They invent these ideologies because they want to subjugate and enslave other people because they want to hold on to their wealth. They want to multiply their wealth. And also when they've got more than enough wealth, then, and because once you, once you, once you become a multimillionaire, Let's say you have 10 million, then you have 100 million, then you have a, a billion. That money no longer has any, like it doesn't do anything for you. Because you've got so much money that the money itself now becomes of no value to you. So something else now has to, has to you, you now have to be driven by something else. Right? So this other thing, what, what is it? There's, there's wealth, then there's shahwa, there's desire. So these people then engage in desire with women. Then, then they move to other things because the, the satisfaction of lust, it has no bounds, right? So they're going to other things. Once they've exhausted all of that, what, what other things are there that there's power, a lust for power, right? And this is what drives people, the lust for power, the power to have control over millions of people 
over the lives of millions of people to command them, to prohibit them. Right? So these people, they want to be obeyed. They want to become aliha. They want to uh, be worshipped and obeyed. And this is what drives a lot of these people. They want to subjugate mankind. So one of the ways you subjugate mankind is physically you just take them in chains, put them in chains, drag them, you know, get them on the field. You know, this used to be the old method. This is the old method. This is the, the expensive, costly, difficult method to take people in chains because so many in number. In the modern era, these people have understood that the, the slavery of the mind is a lot easier. Right? So if you can basically change people's minds, their thoughts, their ideas by way of corrupt ideologies, then the enslavement becomes so much more easy. Becomes so much more easy. Right? And that's why a lot of these ideologies that they have, which we call leftist, liberalist, woke, whatever ideologies, they are there to basically reprogram reshape the minds especially of the children right because they are malleable they are young they haven't developed critical faculties at this point in time and they're very impressionable and they believe anything they're told they believe to be true right so the indoctrination is in the schools uh, because they want people who are unable to critically think and who will just you know end up believing anything you know so uh, coming back to the point I think we were making was that what the Sharia of Islam has come with is ease. The laws of the Sharia bring ease. They remove hardship and difficulty, raf'ul haraj. Within them is justice and equality and fairness. And these rules are based upon the fundamental facts and realities of nature, of biology and of nature. Right? That's what the laws are, are, are based upon and built upon. And in, in all of it, there is equality. There is justice. There is fairness. Because this is revelation from the Lord of the worlds. And as for all of this other thing that they tell us about, you know, um, this is really to, to dismantle the family and to uh, remove all of the protective layers over children. Right? So get men outside of the lives of their children. Get women outside of the lives of their children so that children now, you can go and program and brainwash the children. Right? This is really what's, what's basically taking place because within one generation or two, you can completely alter a society completely. You can flip it on its head with just one, with, with, with just indoctrination of the children and so this is known through history this is what they used to do you know in china the the, the communist revolution of china mao zaitsung this is exactly what he did right the cultural revolution they focused on the children right so they taught these ideas to the children that old is bad culture the past culture is backward and evil and 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 you know within a single generation they, they turned around the whole society and made it communist, right? And so these things are, we, are, we are witnessing right now in these Western social democracies. This is exactly what they are doing. Uh, it is a, a cultural revolution. They're trying to indoctrinate the children with false extremist ideologies, the aim and purpose of which is to deprive people 
uh, of, their, of their dignity, their honor, their rights, their property, their wealth, and to basically uh, enslave them. Um, and, and to do it through the mind is easier to do it physically with, with, with chains, right? Because that's too costly, too many people are needed to, to police the whole thing. If you, if you alter the mind, then it's, you just leave the person with the false ideas and, and you know, you don't need to waste too much more time, effort and resources. So what we should, uh, uh, as Muslims, should do is that we, we do not accept any falsehood. Right? And you might have, you might have seen there was an audio clip going around of, of uh, some Muslim children arguing with a, with a teacher where they're basically not accepting that, you know, no, no, sorry, we don't accept that, uh, you know, that there's only men and women, male and female, we don't accept this, whatever. And there's an argument taking place, which alhamdulillah is good, because it shows that the children have been uh, informed by their parents and they know the basic uh, realities uh, that they should speak and, and not accept this falsehood. Right? It's only because when people acquiesce, acquiesce and just remain silent that these people are allowed to get away with what they, what they are getting away with. Right? So, uh, so coming back to, to the issue we were saying, point number two, that in the Sharia as a whole, there is the removal of hardship. The Sharia removes hardship. It does not put any burdens or shackles upon us in any of the affairs of life. And uh, the Shaykh goes on to mention some verses. Uh, Allah does not impose upon a soul what it cannot bear. This is a general principle in, in the Sharia. And fear Allah as much as you are able to do so. Right? So, in accordance with one's ability. And وَإِذَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِأَمْرٍ the Messenger of Islam said, when I command you with something, then bring as much of it as you are able to do so. So all of this is from the mercy and the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, another example from, <clears throat> from the Sunnah is that there was a companion, uh, Imran bin Hussein, and he suffered from, on an occasion, he had hemorrhoids, right? So he was unable to basically stand. He had to, he had to, you know, um, had this problem. So he said, the Messenger of said, pray standing. If you are not able, then pray sitting. And if you are not able, then on your, on your side. Meaning even if it's lying down. So once again, this is the ease of the Sharia. Allah is removing hardship from his ummah by, you know, uh, giving these rulings for various situations and scenarios. Now the third affair is in these verses, Allah Azawajal, he says, ma yuridullah, ma yuridullah. Allah does not want to make any hardship for you. Allah has established irada that Allah desires, that there are some things Allah wants for his servants and wants from his servants, right? So Allah has the attribute of irada of desire or of wish and Allah's desire and Allah's wish is of two types the first type is al-irada al-kawniya al-irada al-kawniya this refers to everything which happens in the creation everything without exception right so Allah you know he 
So, so everything which is written in the preserved tablet, this will occur, it will happen, whatever things Allah has decreed to happen, when Allah wills them to happen, they will, they will definitely happen, right? This applies to everything that happens in Allah's creation, whether it is good, whether it is evil, right? Whether it is the belief of a believer or the disbelief of the disbeliever, the shirk of a mushrik, the sin of a sinner, the obedience of an obedient person, all things that happen in Allah's creation, whether good, whether evil, all of them come under the will of Allah in the sense that Allah wills them to happen, so they happen. Right? So this is one aspect of the will of Allah, the Mashia, or the irada of Allah. Right? And it doesn't mean that Allah has to like everything that he wills. No. Because he allows things to happen which he does not like, which he does not love, but he allows them to happen for a wisdom, for a wisdom, for a reason. Right? So this is the first type of will. The second type of will is Al-Irada Al-Shari'iyah. Al-Irada Al-Shari'iyah. Which is the will of Allah or the desire of Allah as it relates to his legislation. Right? So this will or this desire now is in relation to only that which Allah loves. So this is what we find in the Sharia, the commands in the Sharia. Allah says, establish the prayer, right? Be righteous to your parents, right? And he gives us uh, prohibitions, right? <clears throat> so these are the commands. These are things which Allah has, has ordered. And so these are things which clearly Allah loves. He's pleased with them. Allah loves them. And this is why he requests them from us. And so this is the second type of will. And the two types of will they coincide when a believer he does what Allah has commanded right so when a believer does what Allah has commanded him to do then the two aspects of Allah's will they come they coincide right so for example if Allah says you know be righteous to your parents or any other good deed remove something harmful from the floor and a person does so then now the two, the two aspects of Allah's will have come together in the sense that Allah commanded it, He liked it, He's pleased with it, right? And it's from the Sharia, He commanded it through His will from that angle. And then purely through creation and what happens in creation, Allah decreed it and willed it for, for it to happen physically and, and you know, in terms of uh, cre cre creation, right? So the two aspects of Allah's will coins came together. But as for an act of disobedience or sin or what uh, a disbeliever does or a polytheist does, then only the first type of will is in operation. Only the first type of will is in operation. Right? Meaning Allah decreed it to happen and it's happened. Allah does not like it. Allah does not love it. He's not pleased with it. He hates it. But he allows these things to happen for a wisdom. Right? So this is where, for example, we have calamities and hardships a calamity comes to a believer someone dies in the family someone has an illness someone has an accident someone is in poverty someone is is in hunger right but there's a wisdom behind these things they're not evil in and of themselves but there's a wisdom and a purpose behind those things right so anyhow this is an issue to do with the will the decree of Allah the, the, the irada of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
And so these are the two types of will. And finally, at the very end of the verse, in this verse on wudu and tayammum and ghusl, Allah he says, he explains the reason behind all of this. Right? Why Allah has made ease, removed hardship by way of these rulings to do with wudu, tayammum, ghusl, and so forth. He said, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ In order that you may be grateful. In order that you may be grateful. And so the Sheikh says there's a number of issues here about gratitude, about uh, being uh, about being grateful. And he says, لَعَلَّكُمْ uh, تَشْكُرُونَ He mentions a grammatical issue, first of all, about the meaning of لَعَلَّ la'alla i won't go into it in some depth but simply la'allakum here is in terms of like the reason what is the reason it's for ta'lil it means what is the reason that these affairs have been legislated and it is in order that you may be grateful and sheikh goes on to explain that gratitude as shukr being grateful to allah comprises three things Right? There are three things without which you cannot be grateful to Allah. So everywhere we have been commanded in the Quran to show gratitude, to be grateful, what exactly does that mean? There are three components of being grateful to Allah. The first of those, the Sheikh says, is to inwardly acknowledge and to affirm and accept that the favor or the bounty which the servant received it is it is actually from Allah it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and 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 anything that we might have done or any role that we might have played then you know this this is simply a bounty and a favor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if it hadn't been for Allah opening up this avenue or guiding us and directing us to take these steps then we would not have received the favor right so we shouldn't think well i achieved this wealth i achieved this good health because of all of the the diets that i did and you know the exercise which i did and the hard work which i did you know this is from me no you don't this this is not how a believer thinks this now is is pride and arrogance and you know uh, but rather gratitude is to acknowledge that what you have and what came to you is because Allah facilitated the ways and means for you to acquire and achieve this health or this wealth or whatever it might be. Right? This is from the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there must be an inward belief, an inward acknowledgement that this, all of this has come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the first component of being grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second component is at-tahadduth bi-ni'matillahi zahiran, which means that you make it known to the people that Allah has favored you and, uh, you know, uh, that, that you mention this and you announce this, but only, but only where the, there's a need to do so. Right? Um, so... For example, you don't, if, you, if you've memorized, for example, a juz, you don't need to go out and say to everybody, Alhamdulillah, today by Allah's bounty, I memorized a juz of the Quran, and Alhamdulillah, today I received my wages, and I, you know, 
I, I received this in my, you, don't, you don't hear say that but where there's a need for you to someone someone asks you know uh, there's a need for example um, someone says how many children do you have alhamdulillah you have you know I have four children right where there's a need then you can announce the favor and the bounty of Allah that he's bestowed you with otherwise there are, there are issues you know I mean you don't want to uh, sometimes there can be evil eye and jealousy and there can be um, sometimes the, the pride and boasting you know there's, there's a fine line in these kind of issues but nevertheless in general to uh, mention the favors and bounties of Allah uh, upon yourself is, is part and parcel of being grateful why because you are making known that Allah is honoring and uh, bestowing favor and bounty upon his servants right so um, this is this is the second part of being grateful, which is to speak about and mention. You can do that to, to, within your family as well. It's, it's a lot, lot. Obviously, there's no, no harm there. Um, but this is the second part of being grateful to Allah, announcing it you know, with, with the guidelines mentioned. And finally, using these favors in pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and... You know, and, and to, to, to seek an increase by way of that. And uh, obviously this is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's, he's the one who gave them to you. He's the one who favored you by way of them. And so this is part and parcel of being grateful to Allah. That the ni'am, the favors that you have, it could be health, it could be wealth. It could be whatever else. It could be offspring. It could be, you know, whatever it might be, whatever you have. To use them. In the favor of in, in, in the cause of Allah and to be you know to use them to to please Allah so the evidence for this is the hadith that we mentioned a couple of lessons ago the hadith which mentions the four types of people in relation to the world right people in relation to knowledge and wealth so the first type of person that was mentioned in relation to knowledge and wealth is the one about whom the messenger of Allah he said in the dunya in the dunya li nafar indeed the world is for four types of people the first one a servant whom Allah has given abdun razaqahullah malan wa ilman he has given to him both knowledge and wealth both wealth and knowledge so he fears Allah with respect to it and he ties his ties of kinship, he keeps his ties of kinship, right, by spending upon them. And he knows Allah's right upon him with respect to this knowledge and wealth. And he um, uses it to tie the, keep, keep the ties of kinship. And, you know, he knows Allah's right over him with respect to it. This one is the best of the ranks. So, right, so meaning this person whom Allah has given both knowledge and wealth. He knows Allah's right over him in relation to that wealth. He uses it to keep the ties, family ties strong. He spends it upon his spouse, his children, his relatives. His, you know, he keeps, uh, uh, he honors them and so on and so forth. And, he, and, and he, he fulfills the rights of Allah with respect to that. This means that this person is using that wealth in what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is part and parcel of being grateful to Allah Azza wa Jal. 
um, you know, in relation to, 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 to this wealth. So this brings us to an end of the ayah. So this really has been a kind of brief, very brief, concise explanation from the Shaykh Rahimahullah of the ayah in Suratul Ma'idah, chapter 5, verse number 6. The Shaykh gave us a beautiful, uh, concise uh, summary of the various rulings of wudu. First of all, what are the pillars of wudu? What are the additional things which have come in the sunnah, the additional obligations of the sequence and the continuity and um, some surrounding issues? Then a bit about ghusl in between, which is a separate topic. And then tayammum, right? So we now also understand the basic rulings to do with uh, tayammum. Uh, enough for, for practical application. And finally, about the sharia in general, uh, there's ease, removal of hardship, and all of these affairs require from us that we be grateful to Allah for this bounty of the sharia, which, by which Allah has removed so many hardships and burdens from us, because in the sharia of Allah, there is uh, protection, there is barakah, there is blessing, there is a true justice, uh, there is ease in one's life, there is removal of hardship, and all you need to do is to look at the society around you and all of the evils and the ills and the corruption that you see. Why? Because these people are not, are not governed by the, the, the guidance of the prophets and messengers, the guidance of the Lord of the worlds. And you see this failure in society all across the board in so many different ways, whether it is financially speaking, right, in terms of the people uh, being looted of their wealth because of usury, because of interest, because that's how the economy works, right? People being uh, robbed of, um, you know, their, their uh, like the, 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 the soul being made empty and vacant because of materialism and consumerism that's pushed upon these people, you know, and uh, without, without religion, without uh, any meaning in life. Uh, you see all social evils of drugs, of alcohol, knife crime. You see relationships disintegrating, right? Children born out of wedlock because of liberal sexual philosophies which are pushed upon the people. Right? Everything you see is just chaos and ruin and destruction, mentally, financially, you know, in all respects. This is all a result of people not being guided by the light of revelation and by what Allah has revealed of, of, of guidance and laws in which there is protection of people, their minds, their hearts, their physical bodies, their wealth from, from uh, misappropriation, exploitation, and so on and so forth, right? This is why, uh, uh, you know, Islam and the Quran and the Sunnah and the Prophets and Messengers, they come to take people away from servitude to men and to take them instead to servitude to the Lord of the worlds, right? In which there is true freedom, true freedom in the true sense of, of the word. And this is why the people of disbelief, uh, they absolutely hate uh, Islam and they hate the justice that Islam came with and they hate the natural order and the laws built upon the natural order that Islam has come with. Why? Because it protects people from being exploited 
by the profiteers, by the, those who see corruption upon the earth, right? The one, the one, the sellers of alcohol, the dealers in usury, right? The one people who profit from the base instincts of the people, right? They know people have base instincts. Everybody needs to have food. Everybody needs to have, you know, they, 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 they have pleasure. Uh, they want wealth. There's base instincts. And if those base instincts are not confined and regulated by a law, by a just law, then the field is open for anyone to come along and to exploit people through their instincts and to profit widely from that. That's why you see the biggest businesses in these Western nations, what are they? Well, it's, it's alcohol, it's gambling, it's interest-based loans, it's insurance, right? These are all huge, huge industries profiting from the, what are really the, the, the fears or, or the, the desires and the fears of people, right? The lusts and the desires of people. And Islam has come to, to liberate people from that enslavement. Right? And that's why these affairs are important to, to understand. And you know, the, the tarbiyah of the children uh, with regard to these basic simple issues is important for you to not to neglect your children, especially in this country, because they are, they are the primary target for indoctrination to, uh, you know, to, to convey these types of things to them, inshallah, to protect their minds and their hearts from this type of uh, uh, corruption. And Allah knows best. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. The question, um, what kind of steps would you advise for people to protect their uh, children? Obviously, this is a topic in itself. Inshallah, maybe we can do a separate uh, lecture on this. Uh, protection of children from you know the ills and harms of uh, society well this happens in the household uh, first and foremost tarbiyah uh, of the parents and um, in the household nurturing them upon tawheed uh, making them instilling although we know in the fitra there's belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we have to give them the evidences of rububiyyah suited to the age and their understanding to cement that, that fitra, you know, that there is a Lord, there's a creator, that they are the recipients of favors for which they need to be grateful and you know, how they be grateful to Allah by worshiping him alone and being dutiful to their parents and understanding the role of, of, of the parents. So they see the parents as the actual role models, right? So the parents are the, are the role models whom they, whom they look to for guidance and for instruction rather than it being, you know, Mr. Jones or Mrs. You know, Williams or whoever it might be, you know, in the school or whatever, right? Or, or such and such sports star or such and such celebrity or such and such, you know, billah, such and such uh, pop singer, whatever it might be that we see these days, right? So to... to uh, you know, make, make it known who are, the, who are the role models that they basically look up to. And that's by doing, having a, a good relationship with the, with, uh, with the children. So, uh, like I said, this, this requires like a whole talk in itself, to be honest with you, um, about the tarbiyah of the children and how to protect them. 
the first thing you can do is not to have them in the actual schools. You should try to homeschool or go to a Muslim school or go to an area where, uh, I mean, even to be honest, even where there's majority Muslim, the, the, the curriculum requires teachers to uh, indoctrinate the children uh, with this filth, with this nonsense. Uh, so, you know, there's, you can escape to a certain degree, but ideally, you know, you, you have to either homeschool or the real solution is just to move to a, to a Muslim uh, country, which is, which, is, you know, which is the real underlying uh, uh, true uh, solution here. Right? So, uh, take them out of the normal state education, homeschool them if you can, if not, get other teachers or a Muslim school or whatever it might be, um, just to shield their minds and their hearts from, from this uh, perversion and this corruption. Um, and, uh, but you have, to, you have to teach them the basic foundations, even things you might think to be obvious, right? Because these people are targeting obvious things that we take for granted. Like, for example, there's, there's the male and the female. Right? You, you have to emphasize and ingrain that within the children, that this, these are boys and boys have certain qualities and these are what they do. Uh, they are brave, they are courageous, they are, they are uh, practical, they, are, they, are, you know, they, they go out, they work, they, they are the, uh, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they bring the bread to the house basically, you know, and to make them responsible, right? And likewise to, to the women, uh, to the girls, uh, that, they, that they raise children, uh, they make the nation, they build the nation, they have certain qualities of gentleness, tenderness, modesty, shyness, humility, you know, all those qualities of femininity, you, you emphasize them. And so you have to really go out of your way to, to inculcate these, these qualities. And all of that we find in the sunnah anyway, right? In general, if you give them a good tarbiyah upon the sunnah, you will find everything in there to develop the character in, 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 in the right way. Right to to protect them from from the evils uh, from from society, um, but a, a lot more can be said. But like I said, this requires maybe a lecture in itself. How do you protect uh, your children from the evils found in these types of societies? Right, where they're trying to sexualize your children, where they're trying to uh, recruit your children into social justice movements. That's what that's what they're basically doing. They want children to start thinking that the older people are going to destroy the planet and they are evil, right? And, you know, we hate the old people, they are evil, they're going to, you know, uh, that's a social justice movement and, you know, that we want equality for women and men, the whole equality nonsense, uh, feminism. But this is how they're getting to the children, through indirect means. They're not saying your religion is false. It's evil to be, because they know this doesn't work, you see, right? And that's why they're not using these methods anymore. Rather, they're using the method of inclusion, right? It's not like these evil, nasty Muslims are all terrorists and the misogynist wife. They try that method, but it's not really, it's not really. So instead, what they do is they say, oh, well, let's work for inclusivity and let's, you know, let's all work together. And so what they do, they'll have, for example, LGBT groups defending Muslims against Islamophobia. Right? So it's kind of like, okay, we're do, doing something for you, so now you have to do something for us. Do you get what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, like, it's like a more insidious method of, of catching people off guard and using these indirect kind of social justice methods, uh, 
calls to, to, to slowly erode away like the, the foundations. That's, that's, that's how they're doing it. And, um, you know, so we need to be aware of these issues. It's, they, don't, they don't... Obviously, you have the brainwashed, indoctrinated people who believe these lies, thinking that they're, you know, that they're really going for equality and whatever, but they, they are just pawns in the game. They're just useful idiots, the ones who, who believe this nonsense and, and believe that, you know... Um, but these wealthy people, they, they have much wealth, they set up foundations, they set up non-governmental organizations, they then go and find people in the Muslim countries, you know, set up an office somewhere, for example, in Islamabad here or in Egypt over here, then they go and start finding these people, you know, uh, let's do a march for uh, women's rights or for homosexuals or whatever, they support these uh, movements in the Muslim countries, and this is, this is how they work, right? This is through these indirect methods, equality, justice, fairness, inclusivity. This is easier than, than coming and saying, oh, your religion is backward, evil, whatever, because then, then Muslims, they, 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 they put up their guard very quickly. Oh, hang on, we're not going to believe anything you're saying because you, you are out to basically harm and destroy our religion. But if you come from the angle, you know, inclusivity, equality for all people, justice for all people, let's all be one, Let's this, whatever, whatever. We'll fight for your cause if you fight for our cause. Right? Yeah, we don't like people uh, uh, attacking Muslims and saying every Muslim is a terrorist. No, no, no. We, you know, the LGBT stands with you, Muslims. But in turn, you want us to, you know, uh, you know, when, when, when it's totally, you know, it's totally, um, totally the opposite. You know, it's, uh, it's like... Uh, you know, it's like the lion coming to the deer and say, you know, we, we're all for deer's rights. We want to fight for your rights and now you should fight for our rights as well, you know. The, 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 the lion's just going you know, to devour the deer. You know, it's like, it's, it's like you're, it's two opposites. Like, you know, you can't come and say, we'll do this for you, you know, you, because they're not compatible. They're not compatible. Right? So these are like insidious methods which are being used, indirect methods to come to you indirectly. And so these are the, the ways that have been mastered by these people because they have spent the better part of a, a hundred years, I'd say, on the, on the psychology and the indoctrination, behavioral psychology. You know, this is what they've been doing in their sciences for, for, for the last century. Uh, thinking of what ways can we use to basically, you know, indirectly come. And they, this is what they're doing. They, they've chosen these things, first of all, the sexual liberation philosophies, right, to destroy uh, the, the, the uh, meaningful relationships and to destroy the male biological, uh, female, you know, biological sex, to destroy that idea, right? Likewise, climate change, global warming, you know, this scam that um, carbon dioxide is, is a pollutant when carbon dioxide is essential for plant life and growth of vegetation, right? It's, it's, it's blatant falsehood. Uh, but they've managed to succeed, right? And, and uh, making it look as if, you know, cows and livestock are destroying the planet when Allah created livestock for the benefit of mankind. And that farming is evil and is destroying the planet. When, you know, so these are indirect methods and likewise the whole idea of, of contagion and fearing viruses and making people fearful of healthy people, right? They, they've thought about these things very, very 
clearly and carefully and chosen the means of implementation, right, to indirectly bring, they will, they will bring, they, they want to bring a one world religion, right? So the people right at the top, they are largely Baha'is, Baha'is, right, Baha'is. So I'm not sure if you know about Baha'ism, but it's like a, it's like a religion. And uh, this is the general religion of many of the founders or the supporters of the United Nations. And they want to bring this religion to dissolve all the other religions. Right? And this will have environmentalism as the, as the foundation. And you know, likewise, all these other things to do with family and things like that. No, that's, it's an indirect method. Right? So instead of us saying... Christianity is evil, Judaism is evil, Jews are evil, Muslim, Islam is evil, Muslim, whatever. Instead of that, it's all, we all one, we're all together, let's unite on these issues of environmentalism and, and this or whatever, equality. And they're all indirect methods to basically generally, gradually to take away power away from people until when you've got the power, then you're going to start dictating to people that you either obey or otherwise, you know, you, you can't be part of our society. Right? We'll lock you out. You can't, be, you can't function in our society unless you agree to this, this, and this, and this. Unless you agree to transgender rights and this, whatever. This is what they are actually doing, right? So in between, before they get to that stage, it's all inclusivity and equality and let's all be whatever. But once you've got the actual power that you, that you, are, that you are working towards, then it's going to be an iron fist. Iron fist. Right? And this is what history has shown in all of the, the, the communist revolutions and things in the last century. This is, this is how they do it. Deceive everybody with flowery language, deception, noble causes, you know. But then once you've got the power, that's it. You will, you will come down and uh, you, will, you will rule with an iron fist. You will starve millions of people. You will, you know. This is, this is how it is. And history tells us these facts, right? This, this is, these are historical facts that this is what these people have done. And they're just trying to do it on a bigger, larger scale uh, and making sure they do it a lot more effectively than the previous attempts in, in, in the previous century. So, uh, yeah, so as I said, there's a lot more that can be said. Uh, the whole lecture is needed, focusing specifically on, on the children. But really, it all begins in the home. It requires you to have awareness of these things, first of all, and uh, just to make your children uh, aware and intelligent and perceptive of these issues and not to believe and accept obvious falsehoods, right? You have to make your children recognize what are obvious falsehoods, right? Obvious falsehood. CO2 is not a pollutant, it's essential for plant life, right? right? So this is all a lie and evil to make it look as if men, yes, it's true there's pollution that needs to be dealt with, but you know, men living, eating, farming, you know, traveling, whatever, this, this, this is Allah's earth. Allah made the earth. You know, for men to farm and to take milk and to, you know, how can you say, how can Bill Gates say, uh, this, this uh, evil man say that a cow is more harmful for the environment than, and for example, a car, for example, because of all the methane which it releases. Right? This, these people are making, it's like ta'an upon the rububiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah is the one who created the cow. Allah is the one who made the cow and other livestock, right, to, to generate milk. And, um, you know, uh, 
all the other functions and uses of, of livestock, milk, transport, clothing, furniture, you know, uh, that, that we take from the skin, from the meat, from the, from, from, from the milk, right? How can you say that this is destroying the planet? Uh, this, is, this is truly, it is really evil because you are, you are kind of really undermining the rububi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you're putting the, when you put these ideas into the minds of children so that from an early age, like the age four or five, they start thinking, oh, I hate cows. Cows are destroying the planet. Oh, I hate my parents because they're trying to restrict me from having pleasure. Now they, this is where they're going. Like at an early age, putting these ideas into the children's minds so that, you know, this, this, they're allowed to make this uh, indoctrination. And that, that erodes the rububi of Allah in the hearts and minds of children. Right? So what these people are saying is, is truly, truly evil. That the foundations upon which they are building what, what they are building. Right? Farming is evil. We have to you know, destroy the farmers and take everything into a lab. Because in the laboratory we can do much, much better. We can make better meat which is ethically sourced. It is cleaner for the environment. It is just and it is subhanAllah. Are you saying that Allah did not create in his creation wholesome, pure milk, for example, as he mentions, Lebanon, Khalisan, and meat that we eat from? If we leave the animals to be upon their natural, you know, um, pasture and, you know. So really, behind all of this is greed. You know, it's when people are greedy and they want to make money. Um, and they, they begin to harm the environment. Really, it's these people, the very same people who are destroying the environment and then they're blaming it upon everybody else. And then they want to take control of the food supply by making lab-grown milk and lab-grown meat and this and that, whatever, because they want to take control over what Allah has created as if they are the creators and they are the owners. Do you understand? Right? It's basically hacking and privatizing and taking control of nature so that you are now the, the owners, right? You own the lab meat. You own the lab-grown milk. It's your creation. It's your, it's your patent. You're making money off this. And at the same time, you want to do away with farming and you can't own sheep anymore. You can't own cows anymore, right? So you can see what they're doing is they're trying to privatize nature so to speak right they want to genetically modify change engineer because it becomes a patent you now own it you now control it you can make money of it and then you want people you know to to abandon like the, having cows and sheep and all the what allah created what allah gave to them all right so th these are really really truly truly evil evil people and these ideas about you know, there's not enough sustenance upon the earth. There's not enough food upon the earth. All of these are, are lies. There's, there's plenty of food upon the earth. It's only because of the greed of men that resources are basically, you know, uh, destroyed or not available. It's because the hands of men. Very, very simple. So anyhow, the, uh, we digressed quite a bit from your original question. You know, but uh, that, that is like really a talk in itself. Inshallah, maybe another time.
Is this like worldly affairs or the religious affairs? Yeah. 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 Your your effort is part and parcel of of the outcome, but your effort in itself has been facilitated by Allah So ultimately, everything is from Allah. Right. So yes, your effort that you made to, for example, become wealthy or to become healthy or to you know achieve whatever it might you might have achieved. Yes, that that's from you. That's from you. That's from your striving. And Allah created his creation in such a way that your striving is part of the outcome. But your striving itself has only come about because Allah facilitated it for you. And, and so ultimately, everything is from Allah. And in a way, nothing is from you like in a foundation, in the foundation. Because you didn't create anything from the creation. You didn't create any of the ways and means. Allah created all of that. So all of it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But your effort is part of that process. So that effort came from you. Allah will reward you for that effort. Allah will reward you in this life. Right? By if you work hard, then it will come to you. Like that's, that's true even for a kafir, even for a non-Muslim. Right? If there's a Muslim and a non-Muslim, and a non-Muslim works hard, strives, makes all the effort. Right? It's in the law of, of Allah's creation that wherever there's effort and exertion and striving, that success comes to that, whether you're a believer or a disbeliever. Right? And if you as a Muslim sat around being lazy and think, oh, well, I'm a believer, Allah's... No, it doesn't work like that. You've got to take the means. You've got to take, make the effort and take, take the means. Right? So, um, yes, so there is, there's effort from you. That's from you, no doubt. It's part and parcel of the outcome. Uh, but even that, ultimately, it, it's, it's facilitated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, but you will be rewarded for that effort. Allah will appreciate and reward the effort, yes, by giving you the outcome in this life and likewise in the hereafter as well. Right? So that's... You have the free will. Huh? You have the free will and you choose. Yes, of course, yeah. You have the free will to choose, yes. Yeah. But then after you embark on it, so Allah repays you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because there are many things outside of your control. So it's not just your effort in and of itself. That's part and parcel of, of Allah giving you success, or Allah giving you protection. Just things outside of your control. That applies to both benefit and harm. Like for example, you could, you could um, be the safest driver on earth. You could, you know, every time you drive, you check the tire pressures, you put your mirrors in place, and you do everything, you put your seatbelt on, you wipe your windows clean, whatever, and you stick to the... Uh, travel limits and everything and you don't break any red lights whatever and you whatever all what could happen is some guy's drunk on his phone and bangs into the side of you well you took all the means but the harm still came to you because there are so many other things outside of your immediate control which are in the control and power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so whether it's to do with harm or repelling harm or whether it's to, to do with acquiring benefit the same thing applies so yes, it's your striving, your effort, and the result will come through that, but that's after so many other things have been taken care of by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they're outside of your control. So, so everything ultimately comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yes.
No, that meaning is correct. That meaning is, is correct. That all goodness is from Allah, and uh, whatever evil befalls, it's in the, in, 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 in the ayah. Uh, that that uh, whatever evil befalls you, it's from what your own hands have, have earned. Yeah. Because one of Allah's names, I don't know which name it is, He, he makes you re repent. Yeah. He guides you to repent, and then He, he forgives you. Yeah. Well, he's, Allah is at Tawab. At Tawab, He's the one who directs his servant to make repentance then he accepts the repentance of his of his servants yeah, yeah. to do what the brick it's anything that's from the ground on the ground so if it's the bricks on the ground we'll just use the ground uh, like we said, it's not an issue where there has to be kind of particles or just whatever, anything on the ground. That's, there's no najasa, touch that. It could be concrete, could be paving, could be whatever it might be, like, like a brick, like you said. Uh, just touch that and that's, that's sufficient. Yeah. Sorry? Should have to check yeah, whether the, the wall is permissible. Is that again? The assumption is that if it's if it's generally pure and you don't see any obvious signs of najasa, then that's 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 all that's required. I didn't hear what you said. Say that again. I didn't catch because the noise from the thing. He's saying if you go to the toilet, yeah. and somebody comes out the toilet and walks on the mat. Yeah. He says you can't pray on the mat because you went to the toilet. What? You need to have a prayer mat to pray on that space because people have walked out from the toilet. No, if there's if there's no if there's yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. No, as as long as there's no najasa on the place, as long as there's no najasa on the place, they're not like the messenger said, Sallallahu The whole earth has been made a masjidan wa tahuran. The whole earth, right? So unless it's like an obvious place of impurity, like for example, like the pen of a certain animal where there's, they have the dung and the feces, whatever, for example, right? As long as it's not like any place like that, then you can pray in any place. 
And as long as there's no obvious presence of any najasa, then you can pray in that place. So to insist on a, on a, on a mat that you have to pray for that reason, that would not be, not be correct. But if it's just a matter of, okay, just generally, you know, you just don't want to have dust on your forehead because it might make your skin have a rash or just general cleanliness, you know, whatever. This, not a lot of if it's for that reason, but not, not if you're making it like a condition uh, and saying that somehow this, um, you have to, you know, it's, no, that's not a requirement at all. <laughs>